on the Figures of Speech podcast, hosts Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom talk to a wide range of amazingly successful executives, business owners, and leaders about how learning to communicate changed their lives and their fortunes. Every episode gives us stories we can emulate and lessons we can follow. Welcome to Figures of Speech. We are your hosts, Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom. Today, we are so fortunate to have Arnaud Collery here. He is the very first ever chief happiness officer. And he teaches us that happiness is not the absence of obstacles, but actually the ability to lean into them and to persevere. Arnaud has had many careers in his lifetime. He's been a comedian, an entertainer, an MC, a filmmaker, an entrepreneur, but most importantly, he is an innovator. He is changing the conversation, both in the workplace and in our personal lives, about happiness and helping us understand the importance and how we can actually achieve happiness. Arnaud, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that Tammy and I were really inspired by talking with you and getting the chance to have a conversation with you about your world and experience in bringing happiness into the workplace. And I just want to give everyone the chance to get to know you a little better by having you just introduce yourself, tell us your background, we'll dive into it more. But I'm intrigued and want to share with everybody, we are speaking with the world's first chief happiness officer. So Arno, please tell us a little more about yourself. Thanks. Uh, just before I get into it, sometimes I just want to pinch myself because I'm like, really? French guy talking about happiness? We're not really famous for that, right? We're famous <laughs> for other things. But uh, yeah, chief happiness officer. And, and I, you know, I was last, last week speaking at uh, Harvard University. And this weekend, it's another institution. And I'm like, how did I get there? But basically, I had 15 years of experience in 25 countries, 12 different careers, and exactly five years ago, Christmas 2014, right? Christmas, no, Christmas 2013, 2013, I think. That's when I took the decision to go on my own and to do just that. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll get into that. Uh, so now, basically, I do four things around happiness. One is uh, coaching for two to three days companies on purpose, resilience, happiness, joy, over two, three days kickoff, sort of a kickoff team building based on purpose and passion and joy. And I might go further into that. Um, and my clients are companies like uh, United Nation, Dior, Chanel, but also billion dollar company like Kareem in the Middle East who just sold themselves for like $3 billion. Um, and at the center of the mission statement is actually happiness, happiness for the customer, but the, for the employee, for the founder. Uh, so it's a very far stretch from where I began five years ago when no one knew what I was doing and why I was going, getting into this business and why I really wanted to make my life around happiness. So first thing I do is this, is to two, three days seminar, really team building based on passion and purpose. Then second thing is this event called Stand Up for Passion. We've done it now in uh, seven countries around the world. Yeah, we've done 24 events. Uh, we take a themes and we look for the best leaders, people who have a really story to tell. And I, and I coach those people on how to express uh, in a way that will inspire as many people. We film it all. The last event was, for instance, at Google. 
a week ago in New York City on uh, AI and happiness. So we had seven specialists from around the world uh, that had to inspire the crowd on how they use AI for good. The one before was on women empowerment. The one before was on UN sustainable goal, for instance. So so I do coaching for the company. I do uh, that event. I train chief happiness officer now. I've joined about 100 of those in France, uh, uh, Latin America, mostly Aruba and, uh, and New York. And soon, um, Istanbul, believe it or not, Germany and London. That's in the next six months. And then the, the, the last thing I do is, I guess, the occasional, you know, maybe twice a month keynotes on any of those topics. So it's fascinating to me if, and for everybody out there, take 15, 20 minutes of your time in the day to watch Arnaud's TED Talk. It really is incredibly meaningful. One of the things that stood out to me was, you know, when we think about happiness and the, the business side of it, right, the financial impact, I, it just blew me away. 500 billion dollars bill gates billions right thank you thoroughly love it it, it, the the story stuck in my mind that's good this role of a of a chief happiness officer you're hearing more about that you're talking more about that how how is it that that's becoming such a big piece of it we all work eight to five nine to five we've got our day at work we think happiness is you know I, i like my job yeah how are you distinguishing the difference between happiness at your job and the happiness of you as an individual connected to your job. Right. So, so many answers to your question. But the, the first one for me, which matters the most, is alignment. Everybody, at any point of time, for most people, it's at the end of their life, at, the end, at least at the end of their working life, 65, 70. They realize, why did I align more about my purpose and my joy? You know, maybe even if I would have made much less money. But every single person on earth at some point will be uh, facing sort of this destiny, this soul. And, and my thing is take it as early on. And even if you have to take a drop in salary, uh, uh, yeah, a drop in immediate joy, but long term, it's going to work for you if you align your purpose, your personal purpose, and your purpose at work, what you're doing for others, the impact you're having at work and business. So the goal is to find why, because if you don't, unconsciously, you choose a career where it's not aligned, you will work less, you will not be as present, uh, you will not be as productive, you will not be as creative. This is why my artistic friends or my entrepreneur friends or you know my some of my friends working in NGOs, they're like, it's hard sometimes. It's hard, but they know why they're ending up in the morning, right? And they know uh, that if they die tomorrow, they've done what they were supposed to do. I know, I mean, sometimes people are like, why are you talking about dying? But for me, it's a very powerful thing. It's a very motivating, really. For me, it's like to know I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do if I die tomorrow. Like I've done it. I mean, I've done it. You know, I'm not maybe arrived yet in the American sense, of, but I've, I've, I've put my my mind, I've put my my soul, I've put what I was supposed to do on this earth. And and at the end of the day, if you don't do that, this is why during the day you're going to spend two hours on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat, whatever, just because you're bored, you need, we all get bored, which is fine. But we need to be as productive to find this community base, 
and for so many reasons more we need to do. But the first reason is this is for this alignment thing. I, I have a I have a couple of follow-up questions to that, but first I have to say how much that resonates, I know for myself and I'm sure for Tim as well, because we're doing what we do for that very reason. You know, we both I, well, I shouldn't say we both did. I know I stepped out of my career 10 years ago because it was making me miserable. This is not what I was meant to do. And I knew that I was taking big risks. And people will often say, you know, you're so brave and courageous right. for having right. quit your job. And I tell them, no, right. I was gonna, I was on antidepressants. Right. I was miserable. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't such a brave move. It was yeah. salvation to say right. this is not the right thing for me. Yeah. But I, I do have a question for you around this because before we before we did this episode, Tim and I were talking about this and we were laughing because we are both Gen X, our, we're Generation X, and we think of a lot of this as being a millennial thing. Right. That millennials are very focused on happiness. Right. Millennials right. are very focused on not necessarily selling out for the money, yeah. Yeah. but doing something that really moves them. Do yeah. you think that there is a generational impact here, that the time is right because of that? Yeah. Um, I think it's actually one of the main reasons company take me on board because of the divide. I mean, I'm myself, you know, over 40 years old, and I see the divide clearly between what I call the junior millennials. So I really see clearly that not, uh, you know, millennials now have like, what, 38, 39 years old, but I said 31, 32 years old. And I'm I'm seeing the same thing in France, in Japan, in Germany, in US, all over the world. I see the same thing. Colombia, where I keep going for some reason for work. I see uh, people under 21, 32 absolutely do not care, but some still do, but most don't care about the money and the prestige in the long term. Is I mean, this is why people don't care about owning home, owning cars. It's what can they have now? Can they have joy now? Because they've seen their parents, you know, uh, maybe being fired. They've seen their uncles being fired, not happy. And they're like, why? The guy put a 10 years into a company, is miserable, and he doesn't have a big, even a big house. What's the point? And so for me, I think I always felt like a millennial. And this is why maybe I had to leave France. You know, I had to go to find my own way <laughs> because I, I was a millennial pre-millionaire, right? right? And this is why I think I get hired by a company because I have the same age of the CEOs, yet I get it. I get the mentality, which was my thing, which was more joy and more purpose, which for me is the definition of happiness, at least at work right? Which is more joy, more, how can I have more lightness and laughing and, you know, cheerleader and fun events, but how can I have more purpose and impact and again, aligned to, to my own individual uh, impact. So yes, millennial, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the parents uh, and even, you know, the, the one, the, the new generation, the teenager parents are completely lost I, I don't know if you guys have, I don't have teenagers but I I'm do. going to you do <laughs> I oh yeah right? I'm living it right so so my my next speech on Thursday is on at Rye you know Rye upstate New York uh-huh. just on this on parenting and happiness because they've called me and I'm like I'm not a child education specialist <laughs> I don't have teenagers I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist they're like yeah but we we think we think you can have a little bit of hope for us so I think it's completely a, a, a movement of this generation because uh, 
less community, uh, you know, less faith, whatever religion you have, but faith kept people, right? Or, or spiritual practice kept people, ritual kept, kept practice, family together keep practice. And the, the less you have of this, you need to find happiness somewhere else. So you can go and find inside, but I do believe that if you find the right work or you have this enough joy and purpose, you will be, you will find some fulfillment inside as well. So it's completely a new generation of things. I mean, even the Goldman Sachs people, they have, they have a prime of employee retention, right? With all the millions of dollars for the top graduate of top schools, brilliant mind. They call me, right? We, We had a, we had a meeting with Goldman Sachs. How can you help us? And, you know, and I'm, and I'm talking and I'm working with like big luxury company around the world, for instance, where people were, you know, flocking by, by hundreds of thousands to work in those companies before. And now people are leaving. They don't care. I'm going to Tibet for a year. I don't know how I'm going to make a living when I go back. I might sleep at a friend's couch for two months. And my friends here will say, why it's happening? I'm like, they just, they really want to live on the now and find purpose because they see everything else didn't work. So let's me find my own way. Right. Right. Yeah. They look at us and I'm on the, I'm a gen, I'm a Gen Xer and yeah. probably a little bit older on the Gen Xer side. And I have two teenage sons okay. who are not, they don't, they don't sound like the prototypical millennials because they're yeah. not their Gen Z yeah. mindset. But what I think is interesting about what you said, there, there's a whole bunch of things I think is interesting. The first thing that cracks me up is that you left France to come here. And <laughs> certainly having been a born and raised New Yorker, right. France looks like the most laid back happy place in the world. Interesting. And yeah. New York, we're a bunch of cynical, uptight right. people. So right. it's funny to me that you come here to discover right. happiness because right. I just assume none of us are happy. Right. But on, on a serious note, what I find fascinating about what you're saying and completely resonates with the work that I've done, and I, I, I bet for Tim as well, is that we have seen millennials have a very different in the moment experience and they really look at work so differently than we did. You know, we came, certainly here in the States, the Gen X population came into the workplace right after baby boomers who were like do or die. Like you Mm. work your butt off, Mm. like everything is about work and happiness. You don't, Mm. who's happy? The Mm. happiness Mm. is a a Mm. nonsensical notion. Mm. And it was never about that. It was mm. about you need to make a living. And you know, Tim and I were talking about this last week. I was raised with by parents who were immigrant. My parents are first generation. Their parents were immigrants. But make sure you have enough money in the bank. Make sure you buy a house. Make sure you have you know enough savings for a rainy day. If something should happen, you lose your job. Make sure that you have six months of your bills covered so that you have security. And that's the most important thing in the world. And that is exactly how we were raised. Make sure you have money and security. Nobody ever said, make sure that you feel good about right. yourself. Well, and that's interesting. That's so. I'm gonna tag off of that because I think this will tee tee you up really nicely to to jump back in it. I was actually thinking the same thing. Whereas with my parents, it was if you do those things, those are happiness. That represents happiness. And then I look at our generation, Gen Xers, and it was a bit of this transitional stage, in my opinion, of well, happiness doesn't. Happiness can be having those things. 
but not to an absolute. There's a, the definition started to broaden, right? So I have the flexibility to do more, to take risks. And I think it's interesting when you look at what happened financially in, in the world around 2008, 2009, the millennials saw us living our happiness and it didn't work at all. And it could, there was you know, this very poignant time where it was a catastrophe around the world. And I think they look at it now coming into it, thinking about their own families and how they're starting their own families of none of that matters. None of it matters. And I wonder if they actually are getting it right because all of us tend to, I look back at my grandparents and if you ask most elderly people, you know, very, very late in their life, do you have any regrets? And the regrets they will say are, here's all the things I didn't do. And not a single one of them is a bank account. None of them is a house. It's not a car. It's about the experience that they have. It's the risk that they took. It's not living in fear so much. And it just makes me wonder, are they getting it right? Finally getting the message, seeing us go through what we did. Right. The way I see is, so I spent seven years total in LA, right? I was in the movie business, doing different things. And what I see is people like the, the whole millennial, the whole workforce are going to work exactly as, as Hollywood always worked, which whether you're an actor, a technician, filmmaker, writer, whatever, producer, you work on different team at different points of time. Sometimes you make a bunch of money, you do nothing after. Sometimes a bunch of money uh, rapidly and then nothing two years. But you work in different teams for two weeks at a time or then three months and six months. And then, Every time you're going to work on a, on, a, on a new project, and sometimes it's just for the community, just for the experience, because you're starving for that emotional capital, maybe, or just for the money sometimes, just to acquire that leadership. And it's exactly what's happening with the, the young people now in the workforce. My friend working as top VP at Johnson Johnson told me for the last two years, everyone she interviewed under the age of 26, 27, and it's G&G is still, you know, one of the world top companies. So they all tell me, what do you give me? What leadership skill I'm going to learn? Because, you know, in two years, I'm out. I'm starting my own right. company. They right. might they not go old going to start their own company. Yet they all want, what can I acquire? They think of, none of them now think of long term. It's, and, and that's why they, so they think just like we were thinking on, the, on when you work on a movie. I'm going to work for three months, six months. I'm going to get the best of this time in terms of joy and party and having a good time, but also leadership, you know, skills during this movie. And then, you know, one is a big studio movie. I'm going to learn on how the for, all of office politics on how to relate to a studio executive. And then I'm going to work for a small independent movie where I'm going to really work on my craft as an actor, for instance. And this is what I'm suing, you know, the, the I mean, some call it the gig economy, but it's, right, it's further, further than the gig. It's, it's a community-based economy. And I, for me, it's one of the main advice I give to all the young people. Think community. Think for the rest of your life, you're going to have to manage to manage to have worked 15, 20 communities. You know, what, the, the, the 15, 20 things that you like, you're good at. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the Japanese concept. I love Japan. I spent four years there of Ikigai. Have you heard of it? No. So you should, I encourage you to spend some time and, and maybe your, your auditors, your listeners. Ikigai is this Japanese philosophy uh, principle where uh, basically your life should be the middle of what you're good at, what your passion is, what the world can pay you, and what the world needs. 
I've seen what, this. I've seen this. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, that's right? fascinating. Yeah. And, and now we're going to spend most of our life going from, you know, one, two, three, four. And, but as, as often as we can, we're going to have to go. I say we, because hopefully we are part of the generation. We yeah. are part of that moment anyway, right? right? We're not dead yet, right? We're still right. So much right. Go. We're still going. Uh, but we, we have to understand where they're coming from. And, and also, I mean, my, my, you know, I spent the last two weeks studying really this even more, the millennials. And I've interviewed so many of, uh, like, young, like 22 to 35. And one girl told me, she's 20, she was 25. She's like, eh, you know, and she's like, CEO of her own small company. And she's like, but you have to understand, Arnaud, one year of us is equal five to seven years of us. So we have to go fast. We don't have time to waste. And what you guys learn in seven years, we have to learn it or face it in one year. So you, we might disagree or agree, yet this is their thinking, right? So it's, it's going to go fast. Uh, they have this sort of urgency thing, right? We always say to attain a goal, to reach a goal, you need some sort of urgency. But they have sort of embedded in them this sense of urgency for good or bad that makes them want to have even more joy and purpose as soon as possible. But I really see this community-based gig economy, which is, I mean, I'm fascinated by this. It, it's, it's not going to be easy for everyone, but for the creative, ambitious, oh my God, it's a fascinating time they're living in. It, I, I cannot agree with you more. And again, there's a couple of directions I'd like to take this, but I'll share a personal anecdote that I as you were talking, really made me think. So I mentioned I have two teenage sons and my older son is going to college in the fall. And we went two weeks ago up to his school for almost like an orientation kind of day. And one of the parts of the day was going around uh, one of the gyms to talk to professors in different subject areas, just to explore what it is you might wanna do when you come to this college. And my son has been very focused on things that he likes. He's a science and math guy. And as he's walking through and talking to the professors, they're sharing with him, and you could do this, and you could do that, and you could do this, and you can do that. And I stood there the whole entire time, and I turned to my husband, and I said, I want to start over again. I want to have the freedom to explore <laughs> all the oh, things that my brain wants to go wow. Because I think, you know, growing up, and I don't, I'd be curious to know what your life was growing up, but mm-hmm. growing okay. up, especially in New York, going, I graduated from college in the late 80s, you were very programmed to do certain things. So when I grew up, become a lawyer, become a doctor, become an accountant, you know, do one of those things that's very predictable. That will, again, going back to this idea that having that security of a job is going to make you happy. And I didn't want to do any of those things. I wanted to be a writer because right. that's what made me happy. Right. And But it was very hard to find a job right. as a writer back then. Yeah. And it's, so it's fascinating to me, this idea that we are empowering. I know I, as a parent, am empowering my children. And I look around at younger people and we want to empower them to take their passion and do something with it. Because to your point, that is what makes us most productive when we can dig into something. 
But how real is that? Because there are still people right. that have to pick up garbage. Yeah. And yeah. there are still people right. that have to run machines. And right. there are still people that have to get the planes off right. the ground. And maybe they're not so passionate right. about right. what happens right. to them. Yeah, yeah. No, this is... I was talking so to so many parents last week, and I've seen it around the years. We, it, it, we are talking, and I am talking the first, about passion and purpose. And now it's becoming a pressure for the kids because right. everyone wants passion. Now you have to find your passion. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and, but what I tell them, I mean, it took me, I follow many passion, but to find something I'm, where I find purpose, it took me 20 years. Right. So, yeah, purpose is important. I say, yet it took me 20 years. And I knew it was important from the start, so that maybe differentiated me from the rest. But I knew it was, I didn't know it was going to take me so long time, but I know that was important 20 years ago. And maybe what saved me, you ask me what was my life like. I also wanted to be in finance. I graduated in finance, bachelor in finance. I was two years finance early. And when I was 24, my parents divorced. And I saw the impact of, of ugly divorce, messy, they lost everything. My mom took on 18 lawyers. It was horrible to see that. And from one day to the next, I start to hate this sort of, you know, I mean, what's the point of making money if it's destroying a family? So in a way, my family was destroyed. But that saved me, I think, early on from having a life focus on, on money and prestige. So that day, I mean, that, that we, during the course of a one month, I took a decision I'll never follow money and prestige. It's horrible can happen. Oh, I have to have a... a a healthy, healthy relationship with money, right? So that, that, but that's one thing. Now coming to passion, purpose. Uh, first of all, I, passion. I said to everyone, we need to find it. It doesn't have to be a full-time thing. For me, passion is something you 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 rely on when everything else doesn't work. It doesn't have to be your work, and yet, and and our work is anything. Give us. Uh, some sense of a fulfillment that means doing the good job, respecting the people we work with. So even if you're garbage people, garbage person, and you work with people you really, uh, you really like, really admire, this is why I understand someone can just stay there and they have to pay the bill if there is no other way around it. And passion will. So for me, passion is first of it has to be there. It doesn't have to be your work. For me, purpose has to be aligned, right? So sort of. Some, and, and the way I describe purpose is what you cannot not do. At some point, it's just this, oh my God, I'm so, I, I got to do this work. And that might take years. So that's why I said to every young people, whatever it takes right now is the most important thing if you have to pay bills, something that pays the bills, but then just to pay the bills. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, but then it's to, to work with people you like. So whatever the job that takes you, right? It's, it's so... So many also look for that passion purpose, and then they end up working with not so great people, right? So no, if, even before passion purpose is whatever money you need to make a day-to-day -day basis, and then wherever you can find people aligned with your values, and then the passion, and then the, the purpose, and then it's you know, hard working, I tell them, I mean, Imagine a place where you can work at least for two years. Even if you quit after six months, one year, you can't stand it. But whatever job you take, at you, you could imagine you could be doing that for two years. I mean, there was an advice that was given to me to, to uh, one of the jobs I quit years, years, years ago, 20 years ago, uh, 18 years ago. And my boss said, can you imagine 
doing two more years of this. No. And I'm like, no, I'm like, okay, then quit it. You really, want, really. Me, right. you really want me to stay on board. It's like, can you, can you do it? We're going to pay you. It. And I'm like, and to this day, I thought that was such a good question, right? You know, is there enough thing for you to, because what they miss, the, 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 the young people, what they lack, as we all know, it's right. It's the perseverance. It's the resilience. It's this, we talk about IQ. We know IQ. It, it's not dead, but it's not the priority. We, then we talk about the, the EQ. And now we're talking of the love quotient, right? What's your ability to be empathic with one another? What's the ability to, to see love, to give love, to receive love, even the workplace? And what I mean love is just basically this good, finite, uh, uh, real, real relationship with people, one. And the second thing is your, to build your resilience quotient over time. And that's where uh, sometimes happiness, like for those young people, because they go in their passion and purpose, yet they haven't learned to fail. They haven't learned that failure is so much part of it because we know they grew up with those, uh, you know, trophy Everybody for just being trophy, the, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so they don't have the resilience thing. And I say, you have to, yeah, you're going to, this is what our events turn up for passion we do we show that every leader and i push everyone getting on, on on stage it's it's the goal is to give joy and inspiration yet i want you to be as raw as possible when you fail when you found yourself be real don't you know take, take off your mask of a successful person and this is how, how i know you and many times that's why you're on stage because you're successful yet this is not how you're going to connect to people. Just say how successful you are. And I, I have the same conversation with American CEO, French CEO, Nepalese, Tanzanian, you name it. So they, they have to be vulnerable, right? I mean, right. And, and for me, it's part of happiness. I just saw this morning, uh, I'm going on a sidetrack, but I just saw this morning, and it, it really showed uh, that on Netflix, you know Benny Brown? Yes, we were, yes. Just, just, we were just talking, talking about, about this it's today. Amazing. It's amazing, right? Amazing. amazing. It's, it's, it's a world change. And you see the people, you know, laughing in the audience and like, crying. And for me, it's so much part of happiness. What I see is once you are honest with your feeling, you talk about your emotion, you, you say things to people you have never told before. What I see is more joy than ever. Like every time I do a workshop and I let people tell the story, once it's done, they're laughing, like just, it's just joy. They just want to be, there's some sort of weight was being, you know, pulled off uh, and, and they don't have this, you know, this, this weight they've been carrying for 20 years of, I have to look, be a certain way for people to love me, to be seen. And one of the happiest thing you can do for yourself for your own happiness is what is it I need to do just to be myself, to be yes. seen, to be heard yes. as a we, human being. We talk about authenticity all the time as it relates to how people communicate. And one of the things that I will tell people when I'm coaching them is the person you're getting right now is the same person you're going to get if you're sitting in my living room is the same person you're going to get. I mean, I might get cranky right. sometimes, okay. but by and large, it's the same person. I'm going right. to talk the same yeah. way. Yeah. I'm not right. putting on a show for you because right. I'm coaching you right now. Right. You're getting me and it's the same me all the time. And our goal always is to help people find their authentic self and be that best authentic self. And it's interesting 
and I'm really fascinated about the work that you're doing to help get to get people to speak passionately, because obviously that's where all the best speaking comes from. That's the best communication is if we can tap into that part of ourselves. But I, I wonder when you're coaching people around their communication, how do you get them to break down that wall that they've created? Because we are very programmed and conditioned to show up a certain way, right? There's this idea that we, whether you're 25 yep. or 65, what? you've got an idea in your head of how you should, right? And this is where vulnerability, you're hundred percent yep. right. And we were on the, we're totally on the same way <laughs> today, but that's where vulnerability becomes a right. really big thing because it's yeah. okay if it, I'm not perfect. Right. Right. It's okay if I fail, but I wonder what you're doing and how you coach people right. to find that authentic self when they're communicating a message. So the, the way I'm doing, and I, I don't say it's the best way I'm going to tell you, but this, it seems to work with me anyway. So the way it's always the same, I tell you about my time when I was in a tribe and that's what I saw, right? So in December 2013, right? And I saw I was I spent a month in Amazon in the tribe with a shaman, and my wife was there, and we we saw how those people were so pure, honest on the road. They're not perfect, yet there was some sort of like basic honesty, basic trust, and understand that trust, which is at the end of the day one of the main reasons my happiness at work session work. They want employees to trust themselves, trust one another. That's it, at the end of the day. And this is how you build employee retention, by the way. Uh, I saw the trust was coming from just being frank, just having, telling that deep story you never want people to know about yourself. And, and, and so I'm, I'm saying this is what I saw, and, that's right, and this is what I'm going to do with you now. So I, every time I tell them a different story, whether it's when you know I was in finance, 24 years old, my parents divorced, and I saw horrible fight from you know my dad and my mom on both sides, and I'm like, there's no way I want to be like this. I have, it, can, it can't happen. Uh, uh, so I either tell this story, or another vulnerable story of mine, when I fail, when I feel like a loser, whatever it is, and I say what I've seen, guys, is once. If we all do this work, something will happen, call it whatever you want, but it, you will never act the same anymore. And I would like someone to start, and I'm asking you really to be as deep as possible. The deeper you will be, the more outcome. And what happened is, you know, one will start with a story, you know, sort of mid, not too deep, but start to start a conversation. And by the third person, every single time, Okay, I get it. I'm going to really share a story. And then everyone around the circle start to do. But what they understand is, as long as we all do it, right, in an intimate setting where right. everyone is on board. I mean, this is, you know, it starts, you know, you know, and there is also, like right now, I'm a very intense review because I'm excited and passionate. It's a podcast. When I do that, you know, and then I know how the tone of the voice will matters. Everything, right. everything <laughs> matter, right? Right. So I'm going to, you know, start speaking slower and I say, this is a very important. And before that, I also show them my, my fun side. So I do improvisation game, yeah. fun stuff, where we just laugh and be silly. Because for me, again, I always think about it's joy and purpose, joy and purpose. Making so it I, safe for them. <laughs> yes. So, so and, and really I tell them, so, yeah, so we've been silly, we think, and it's important. 
And now we need to be deep. And I do believe if you stay in the middle, never too silly or, and never too deep, then there's never connection. And that's from my years of doing, and you know, I was doing stand-up comedy uh, in LA for years. And I used to produce, I don't know how many shows, stand-up comedy shows, but then I would go to the audience, which stand-up comedian you love the most? And the one they love was never the guy who make, let's say, four or five laughs per minute. That was consistently funny, but there was no depth, right? Or there was no silliness. There was no vulnerability. And every time, the one, and, and you can see now, actually, those, those of, of, of those guys I used to know, now they have their own Netflix special, like Chris Delia, like uh, Elisa Schlesinger, which I yeah. used to hire. And, and all, she's great, right? And they, all, they, always, they already had that 10, 15 years ago now when I was there. They had that. They consistently wanted to make people laugh, but connect, right? Connect deeply. And, and so I tell them this in terms of communication, in terms of connecting, you have to show basically your other mask. And it's okay. You can, after this circle of trust, you can put back your mask on. I get it. You know, we have KPI, we have metrics, we have to... Uh, you know, in a capitalist society, we need to make money, you know, and those, those guys pay me money for me to come. So I get it. Yet for now, if you really want to connect, this is what we have to do. And people get it and they start to doing this. Now, I'm curious. I want to dig a little bit more into this communication side. I, I have a great appreciation for your blog on, on presenting and some of those best practices that Thanks. you put out there, pause, you know, taking a beat, authenticity. Yeah. Again, yeah. things we, we're all universally in agreement on. Yeah. With this extra spin, though, around happiness and the generational differences, you start to have a lot of layers to the puzzle here. And I'm really curious from your experience with the coaching that you've done, how would you characterize the challenges uh, from a communication perspective in driving that happiness and vulnerability for a millennial versus a, you know, somebody who may be a Gen Xer or a, you know, baby boomer who's leaving, you know, up along in the, in the workforce, where do you see their communication challenges with each other when you're coaching them and talking with them? Right. I mean, so, so I don't know if it's, if it's exactly a communication challenge, but the main difference I see, I guess, yeah, it's a communication difference I see in those two generations. Millennials tend to, to um, I mean, they want to be creative fast. And if open this opportunity, they're really going to be raw fast, right? If someone like me or like you or any kind of coach give them the opportunity, oh, this is my time to shine and to be true and honest and just going to go there. And they're great. And sometimes they might even be too great, too quick, too raw. So my thing is be raw, yet just tweak it. Fill the room. Fill the as you as you're talking, as you start to tell the story, when to stop, when just feel the people, just connect for a minute, right? Connect to the people. So what I see is they they're gonna take my word. They they love it. I mean, they they just gonna go for it, right? And this is why I can't wait to do what I'm doing with, uh, with teenagers, because so many parents ask me. So it's just, I think, a matter of months before I, I start to do an event, workshop for them and the parents. So the, if giving the opportunity, they're going to go faster than anyone. 
and very creative, yet they don't know how to read the audience to connect. Um, so we need to tweak their sort of, uh, we say in French, their ardor to do, which means their desire to do it. So I need to tweak the desire. Oh, interesting. For, for the older guys, older women, what I'm saying is um, they're going to do it in a very, uh, they're going to choose the right word. They're going to really read the audience. And for them, it's just go deeper. They're going to do it because of life experience, obviously. So they're going to do the exercise and they're going to communicate. Yet, uh, you know, yet they could, so they will find the right, the right word. Yes, it's always go deeper. It's okay. Just forget about office politics for a minute. The, the consequence, I'm telling you, it's working. Just trust the process of it. So this is what I'm, this is what I'm seeing. And even, so when I, you know, when I follow them, after workshop, those guys on you know three six months basis, when I keep talking to the leaders of each team, so the the millennials sort of they create sometimes their own community, so they work with a new paradigm, new way of communicating, uh, very based on what I've, I've you know share with them, and then the the old crowd, so it's a little bit of a step back, right? So they do, so sometimes instead of so they they work. They work even much better between themselves, right? The, the millennial, they're like, no, super bonded more than ever. And the old crowd, like super bonded. And they have like this sort of a transition people, like those people who are the, 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 the young guy, young woman who know how to talk to older. And so they, they found a way to, to manage it, to work it, but they're not. Uh, so it's, it's still this thing as the millennial need to be a little bit more read the audience of the, 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 the what they're going to say because they, they so, but the, the, so, but what is great, for instance, is when I work with a team where there is sort of equal numbers of, uh, you know, uh, millennial and older people, so then it works perfect, right? It's just like, they get it. It's a new culture, right? It's a new corporate culture. Uh, you're, you're talking about something really interesting that I think is at the root of all communication, which is you have to empathize with the people that you're communicating with because you have to understand how they receive messages. Yeah. You have to think about maybe what their frame of reference is. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me because probably a Gen X or a baby boomer has too much life experience in a way because we're over empathizing. We're thinking a million different things at any given point in time. It could be this and it could be that, which is sort of what creates our own challenges. Yeah. Whereas with millennials and certainly the younger millennials, they're very open. Yeah. They haven't been jaded by yeah. different life experiences and they're less concerned about making a bad impression. Yeah. Yeah. We grew up in a very different world and I think, you know, certainly those people that are older, the baby boomers that are older than us, grew up in a very structured and conditional world of how you need to show up, what you need to look like, what you need to think. And it's very interesting watching millennials dictate the terms of what's important to them and, and have more openness and willingness to be more vulnerable. That's the world they grew up in. Yeah. That was always accepted. So I think, I think what you're tapping into is being able to, in many ways, bridge the gap between yeah. people when they communicate yeah. because you're allowing the millennials to be their free and authentic selves right. and you're encouraging 
the Gen Xers and the baby boomers to receive that right. and to try that on for size. Right. Uh, there's also obviously challenges there, yep. but a millennial can't understand the, the burden that I carry around with me yep. being afraid yeah. to show that yeah. it becomes yeah. challenging, but it is an interesting thing. And I know that Tim probably has something right. to say yeah. on this. I, I do, I do. <laughs> I, I have a few things to say. I, I was really intrigued to ask you this question. It did literally pop into my head. I wanted to know from your experience where when you're coaching and working with folks, either in a workshop or one-on-one, -on -one, how you've observed the differences in the way that they show up, but also in the way they they receive the message. And I, I, I just find it fascinating because I feel like at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We're wired to a degree the very same way. Uh, we read signals the same way. We build relationships off of fundamental elements that we all rely on. You know that fight, flight, or freeze syndrome, the comfort level I have based off these human elements that I'm assessing the environment with. And I appreciate your comment, read your audience. And I think that's where there's a really interesting point to be made here in that when I look at my dad and his generation, the audience was one very specific way. There weren't variables. And I feel like as I came into this world, this business world, these other variables started to come into play, right? Maybe there's a little bit of evolution in the thought process, which is great. We want that. I think that's all wonderful. But it's also gone so far the other direction too, where there's no sort of guide rules, guide marks, or, you know, if we're not playing bumper cars where you can stay within your lane, there's no lanes. And they simply show up and do whatever they want, how they want. And that's not a bad thing. What I'm interested to know is how do we bridge the gap? Because we haven't left this world. We haven't left the business world. Uh, we're still here. We're going to be here for a while. And they're clearly on a very different planet. Right. And I, I, I go back again to my comment earlier in the beginning, yeah. the financial impact to how we show up. There's a couple of pieces. The happiness factor, 100%. I'm, I'm behind it. I believe in it. I've been told if you, you know, love what you do, you won't work another day in your life. I believe that to be true for the most part. Sometimes it's hard to figure out how to do that, but fundamentally you still have that driving force, but you still have to get work done. Work still has to happen. And right. these folks are coming into the workforce and, and I sound like an old curmudgeon right now going, <laughs> how are we going to work with them? And I get that. But what do you, you know, I, I'm curious to see yeah. how do we, how do we share more about this piece of it that just helps define things because I think that there's a big gap on this is, you know, this is what we know to be true, what we believe to be true at the very least as the workforce for Gen Xers, baby boomers even. Uh, and then from a millennial perspective, there are no guide rails. And I loved your comment. We have to learn in one year what you did in seven years. And, and technology makes that go faster. That changes how we interact. So I'm just fascinated by it. I don't know that we have an answer for it, but I'm always curious to the thoughts of where you see the generation showing up differently. Where's the disconnect in the communication that, again, every business you work with is going to want to know, I want happy people, and I also want that productivity. Right. Um, so hopefully it answers your question. The main thing I, the main thing I see with the, the younger people, the main advice I give them, and this is why they can... Uh, connect to us is fast, find your go fast, 
final creative, just the most important things. And that was not me who said it, but Rockefeller, actually the, one of the greatest American businessmen. And, and he said, the most important thing is the, the quality of your relationship over a long time period, right? And many of them act super short term. Right. So they're passionate and creative and, and they, they don't care, right? They don't care. This is to do transactional. Transactional. I say, no, 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 really. And it, it seems to really help the young people. The one I coach when under 32 years old, whether hard times, every time you make a new deal, a new person business, new person, just think 10, five years down the road, 10 years, 15, 20 years, you're going to meet that person again. Most likely it happened to me so many times, so many countries. It's going to happen much more often to you than it did to me. And, and the good things and the bad things happen to me when, when I follow that rule. I forget that rule. So think of that rule now, now, really. Quality of relationship over a long period of time. That's for the millennial and for the, the, the older folks like us. It's really how to be more creativity all the time. It's a, it's a change world. So how you combine the two, I think, is I was talking one of my clients recently on this, and I really believe it's just – it's a tr- We've heard the term transformational leadership. Yes. This is the world where, so which means what? Which means for in my, in the way I understand it anyway, is since we're going to have to transform each other much more than ever, 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 we need to do transformational experience, intensity, practice as often as possible, whatever it is, right? spiritual uh, whatever experience sports experience event experience that quickly change your mindset so this is for me this is how we can match it's we have to do together right the the 25 to whatever 65 years old together do those experience and the more we do so with the hopefully we're going to create a new culture emerging in five ten years right uh and, and, and I see, I mean, we saw the divide uh, with my wife at the, the Google event I produced uh, one week ago in New York on AI and happiness. And, and there was a really divide in the crowd. Of Many people came to understand what is this AI thing. I took seven AI people that really have purpose, right? And have passion, want to change the world. Yet they're very business guys and women. And, and some of it just... They, even though they're curious, they're like, oh my God, this is, it's too fast. It's a different world. And some, you know, they can be 60 years old and they still get it because they had this sort of a mind change, mindset change or they, they were born so creative. But now I'm like, I mean, this is, yeah, I'm talking to big, big French companies now, like hundreds of thousands of employees. And they're like, what do we do with everyone who's over 40 years old? Over mm-hmm. 40, they don't get it. <laughs> and we, we can't fire them. We don't, we don't put them outside. They still want to work. We want them to work. But as you say, completely different, right? So whether you're 25 years old, American, Frenchman, Japanese, you have a totally way, uh, different way to work. They don't understand, for instance, you tell them not to go through Facebook to do business deals or to, to, to you know, not to do the business transaction or, or business talk through Facebook. They're like, but why? This is how we communicate. I don't, right. Why do we need to even use an email sometimes? So the divide is huge. So as long as we, if we don't create, but this is going to take, you know, a few years. And what I believe is, I really believe my, my son is one year old, right? So I waited a few years, but I'm really excited for the world is coming. I really, 
we are convinced, uh, you know, let's say one third of my clients are in tech. And just because I want to keep that, what's happening. thing, And what I believe there's going to be a new world in 5, 10, 15 years where the social media is not going to be as important. Or it might be important, but it's going to be some clearly quality shot, you know, how to act and less bullying. I mean, as you know now, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, I'm going on a the, on the, on the, on the, on the different talk here, but what I mean is there is a clear, huge divide now, which is, which is awful for many, many people. Not people like us, because we, are, we love it, we're creative, and we extrovert, we talk to people, we make a living from communicating and helping people. So for us, it's fascinating. But I see I mean, many of my friends over 40, 41, they're gone, that's it. And I'm like, how they, I mean, they have like still 30 years to work. I mean, most people are going to have to work yeah, until 70. Really? What are they going to do? depressing to think that 40 has become <laughs> extinct because I'm older than 40. I, I am um, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just such a crazy notion. And ooh. as you're talking, it's making me think about what you're really tapping into, which is incredibly fascinating, is people's willingness to adapt to change. And that is part of what allows you to be happy and to, to not feel, to not operate from a place of fear. Yeah. Right? You know, that, that, that could be the opposite. I don't know yeah. if happiness is the exact opposite of fear, but I, I think about people when I was younger, people who are older. And when I yeah. say older, 40, I don't consider to necessarily be older, but I'm sure <laughs> when I was 25, 40 seemed very old. Right. Uh, but that there, what I observed about them was fear, fear of change, right, right, right. fear of, you know, what was coming down the road. And, right. and AI is a really interesting topic. And I wanted to just explore a little bit more of this with you. One of our previous guests, Carmine Gallo, who's a very well-known uh, speaker and writer on communication. Okay. And one of the things that he says, and I'm going to paraphrase his quote here, is that AI is changing the world in such a fast way that it is forcing us to be able to communicate more effectively. So a lot of people are afraid of AI because it feels like, oh, it's going to take jobs away from people. It's going to depersonalize everything. But what we, of course, know, those of us who are in that space, is that it's going to make the world better for us because it enables us to to do things faster and to operationalize some of our basic processes. And in our case, it enables you to get coaching on something that you wouldn't otherwise have been able to get. So it's, it's hopefully making things available. But what it's also doing is it's creating a knowledge economy. We're no longer manufacturing. Right. We don't make things anymore. Yeah. We share ideas. Yeah. And that's kind of a wonderful thing. And it really speaks to what your talking about which is the idea of being able to communicate your ideas and being able to inspire people with your ideas or inspire people in the workplace if you're a leader i wonder though from your experience what did you hear how did you hear from people when you did this ai event that ai is taking happiness away from them like what, what were some of the examples that people were sharing that, that was sort of seeing the downside of AI? Right. So what it, 
so it was more general a general feeling that those people had and none of them actually came for an example they were just like it's too tech i i don't get it so if they're able to you know take for instance one of the company on stage was a wise up w-y-s-a my friend is in charge of this company bangalore base one million download what they do is they use ai chat box to help decrease the intensity of depression. And it seems to work. Hundreds of people have written, said they didn't kill themselves because of it. It's wow. many of my psychologists, therapists, coach friends don't like this. And some of them didn't even come to my event. How would you do an event on AI? Why? You like people, you like, I'm like, yeah, but I like to, to scale to, I like to, to go fast. I like to, there's not a million me. So I would love to right. do, you know, I'd love that if How a machine happiness through AI, right? right? How, I mean, if there's a machine, you know, if I'm repressible, so be it. You know, I mean, it's just the way. And then if I have to find another job in five years, I'll find <laughs> another job, you know. Well, isn't, that what, isn't that what they always said? That's how the success of your doing your job is to make yourself replaceable. Right, I right. Mean, it is, right. It, it, it is, but I, I can also appreciate the human side of that. You know, there's a sensitivity there. Of That's such a, yeah. we think of technology as in, you know, very tactical, hard skills, yeah. a yeah. factory line, yeah. a assembly plant, yeah. but certainly not an emotionally contextualized yeah. product that can make somebody feel differently about their depression. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. That's a big yeah. deal. Uh, but it's just that whole point of yeah. what, isn't that what we're here to do so that yeah. we can have more conversations? I believe the things that do work for the most part, when you look at AI are, you know, software and robots do, yeah. do the majority of the work. Yeah. But that's so the rest of us can figure out and those that we're doing it figure out how to tell that software to do it better right, how right. to make that hardware do it better right. uh, so i i mean I, I get that side of it but it's interesting to hear where their fears are coming yeah. from right. around ai which is very deep emotionally rooted yeah. you know, and, sort and, of insecure can it really right. do that and, and and then and 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 i won't dwell too much in the ai because that might not be the topic and uh, a friend of mine is much more well well versed uh, John Evans, if you want to intro him, he, he's part of a ethics and AI company in the US. And for him, um, and, and he really put it well, he said, basically, the unconscious fear of people is that unconsciously they know that the people believe building AI, if they don't know what they value themselves, how can they build a machine? The value humanities. And I love this quote, right? I, I'm not sure I said it correctly, but basically, if those people don't know yet their value, haven't thought those engineers, have thought out way enough on what value they want for themselves, for the world, how can they build a machine with values? Right. And it's, it's got that. a great quote, right? So he is, you know, fully, he's, this guy is fully dedicated on just doing that. So you, you might want that, to Yeah, that's fascinating. We always talk about that. And that so, yeah, sorry. We, no, no, no. I was just going to say in building our product, we always said that we deeply understand human behavior. Right. We understand how people learn. We understand the emotional context yeah. around public speaking. 
yeah. how, where the anxiety comes from. Yeah. And the only way that we can build a repeatable process or teach a machine to learn about that is to understand it yourself. Yeah. You couldn't put an engineer on that who's never had any experience with it and have them write code for something to your point that they don't at all understand. So it is, it, 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 you know, as you were talking, all I kept thinking is there are people who are building AI. There's always a person behind that. You know, we have not reached a point, and I don't believe that we will in our lifetime, reach a point where a machine builds a machine. I know right. we're getting there. Right. There right. It's still human beings behind the machines. Right. We're still me yeah. and Tim and our yeah. team yeah. that's building our product. Right. And if you if you build AI for yeah. scaling happiness, it's still right. you behind it. Right. There's right. still a person there that's driving that. So right. I, I I think I think it I think people's relationship to it is interesting. I, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask you uh, a question about, I wanted to take a little bit of a contrarian point of view on this because I love obviously what you're doing. And, and I, I think, I think it's very much of the moment and it's an important thing to be focusing on because too many people aren't happy and too many okay. people, you know, I grew up in a world where nine 11 really informed my professional life because it happened right at that, you know, I just had my first child. It was a very pivotal point in time. And the world, the, the professional world changed. Everything changed. The whole world changed, right? Being, come, growing up in New York and seeing what happened to New York and seeing what it meant for the country and the world, you know, it wasn't just an American thing per se, but I also saw the implications of what it meant for a career. And I know my career changed after that because suddenly job job security was gone. Everything was gone. And as Tim pointed out, then the financial crisis happened yeah. and everything changed. It was just a different world. But I feel like what happened is that certainly my generation, we all got a lot less happy because the reality of the world mm. became very real to us. And it was sad. It, it, mm. it, it really touched us in a very profound way. And as parents of this next generation, we worry and we're like, what's going to mm. happen to our kids? And will they ever be able to move out of our houses and afford to live again? And, you know, we live in a very different financial world. What happens? We're trying to feed this idea of happiness, but mm. what's the implication on mm. people who don't feel it, who don't experience mm. it? Are we setting up, and this may be a little bit of a controversial mm. thought, <laughs> are we setting people up to fail? You know, mm. are, what happens suddenly? It's like, it's like the social media uh, world. You know, all we see is everybody's perfect life. Everybody's mm -hmm. living their best life. And I look at that and say, I'm not living my best life. Right. You know, can I still be happy? Right. How, do we, how do you mitigate the idea right. that not everybody is going to find right. joy and right. happiness? And how can you still be okay with that? Right. I mean, the first thing is, there's a great quote was, Happiness is not the absence of problem, but the ability to deal with it. Something I refer to it. Oh, often. there you go. That's it. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> that answers that. I mean, people really need to get it, right? When they think, oh, yeah, it's, your work is just about just, you know, making people joyful and just smiling. No, no, no. First is this, to understand that, right? So that from that resilience, you just have to build resilience, you just... You're gonna have shit happening to you, and you're gonna be okay with it, and you're gonna have a lesson, right? And and two things, it's it's gonna be up and down anyway, up and down your whole life, your whole life. You're gonna quest, you're gonna learn, you're gonna go down, and you're gonna go up. And, and I guarantee the 
what I what I see, what I what I've experienced myself on me, on my coachee, on teams or whatever, is that many times the deeper you go down, the more joy you have midterm. Not short term, of course. Short term after 2001 was very hard. And it, long term, you're going to be better off. Uh, I'm just taking an, another example. Fukushima 2011 in Japan, right? The big, and I was living in Japan yeah. at the time. Uh, so I was very close and I'm close to the Japanese people. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard of the World Happiness Report. Yes. You know? Right, yeah. so every year they measure happiness, and they also sometimes do it full per region. And apparently, there was a team that had done it in the Fukushima region prior the event, prior the tsunami that killed what 20,000 20, yeah. people. Yep. So they measured the level of happiness. Seven years later, they did in 2018, right? Yeah. So nine years after they did one year before, it's seven years after the event. The level of happiness of people is higher than prior the tsunami. Wow. So with their friends, their family killed, it's because we understand the, 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 the priority of life, the joy of life. Wow. We, we value, I mean, we know it's, it's cliche, but once you lose something, usually if you do a little bit of introspection, you really look at what you got, you understand your priority. You understand what matters. Yes. And for, so for me, is those is those people. It's just if you just focus on what matters, it's you will feel happy. Guarantee you, and guarantee which is this both this inner happiness where you have this sort of sense of peace, and yet this outside fulfillment. And for me, one one does not exclude the other, and usually they go pair by pair. You the inner peace that you build, this resilience, these peels. This you know equanimity you build over time, very important, and then you need this sort of outside fulfillment, this sort of gaining new knowledge, getting new things. You understand you have progress in your life. You go into the next. So if you get that, and I tell this, this, this is a, I'm not a science guy and stuff, but it seems there is a, a a natural learning process. I mean, it's I'm seeing that with my kid who's one year old, and we're watching you know when is. Uh, laughing when he starts to say da da papa and it's not special is every kid goes for the sun there's a, a six months they have a milestone eight months ten months 90 percent of the kid go for the next same milestone whatever you do whatever you say and after you still need to instill some great thing as parents yet the learning process is the same fascinating same thing for our own let's say inner leadership learning process follow certain milestones. One of them for happiness is you're going to have to learn happiness, not the obstacle of, 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 it's not the remove of obstacle, ability to do with them. Understanding progress will be part of it. They're going to be ups and down. In the end, you're going to be happier because you built yourself. You are where you're supposed to be. Uh, that is the big takeaway from this conversation. Great. Absolutely. Without a doubt, is that the ability to be resilient. Great. I wanted to make sure there's a takeaway. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. That's a yes. great. Yes. Winner. That was a great way winner, to. Winner, winner. That was that. If there is nothing else, and, and I mean this very personally because every one of these conversations touches me. Right. This is not just, you know, selfishly, it's not just about right. the people who are listening to our podcast. I always feel like I need to learn something and I yeah. need to take something away from it. And I think that's a really... 
profound point. I always think about, you know, as I get older and, and Tim and I were just talking about this last week, as I get older, I have a much healthier appreciation for the little things because it, you know, the, the older you get, the closer you get to realizing your mortality. I'm not going to be here forever. And it's kind of why I love your idea from your Ted talk. If you have, or if I think it was from your blog, if you have seven minutes left in the world what's your message going right. to be right. love that idea right. yeah. you know, i always think like if i knew exactly when i was going to die yeah. i could plan much better my life right. you know i could right. really make sure i'm capitalizing on everything but i guess one of the good things about not knowing right. is trying to live your best right. all the time and right. and be present but yeah. i think I this idea of resilience is, right. is just amazing I, so, I agree i and i know we're going to wrap up here we have one more question that we like sure. to ask all of our guests and before I do that, just as this key takeaway part goes, you know, it you never know what anybody else is going through, what they need, what they hear at the moment, divine intervention, very mm -hmm. serendipitous, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. Mm -hmm. I think that it's a really interesting point that you make. And for me, a key takeaway out of what you said was really around how you you have to have the muck, you have to fall down, you have to get beaten up. Mm -hmm. You sort of gotta be willing to be bloodied in order to figure out you can still be happy through the through that piece of it it's all a journey like you said you've got to learn from it but the absence of 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 uh, you know an obstacle or a challenge doesn't create happiness it really yeah, does it's kind of and a it's, boring it's, life right it's, it's, exactly and it, and it doesn't create substance there was a great book in years not. ago but the, the fascinating people are those with so much not only full obstacle and they still have paradox with themselves there's still a certain of chaos that's what makes them interesting there's still you know something they have not figured out someone who thinks is figured out and it, everything is boring is 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 on a, there's no quest there's nothing right and that's usually the people that get really not happy when when the hit when the shit hit the fan because right. oh my god it, i had everything under control and then and and then, and then what do I do? When right. someone who's who, who knows been through the the, the 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 war, I guess, knows that it's going to keep happening, and I'm going to be fine. It happens to me. I'm going to be fine. And it's not necessarily that you 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 outwardly show and manage and display some incredible control over right. it that you're that you're even keeled all right. the time. Right. It's that you are authentic and you show the ups and downs yeah. and you you're on the whole part of the journey, not right. just what you what you want others to see. I think that that's and I think that others help you find your happiness. Yeah. I think that when you're lost, oh, yeah. others can. Others can help you find that and bring that back. This has been really amazing. Oh, I have loved this. I can't wait for you know all of our listeners to to have the key takeaways and hear us very insightful. We always ask one question when we wrap up, though, and I'm fascinated to ask you this question. Uh, you know, in the modern day of of podcasts and things like that, in my day in my in my late forties, which I'm proud to say, we read <laughs> books. We have books on our nightstand, things like that. We always want to know what what's grabbing your attention these days. What books are you reading? Podcasts you're listening to? What's bringing your what's capturing your attention these days? Um, I mean, many books. I recommend one, which is still a, to these days one of the best book I ever read, especially on resilience. Uh, which, what was it called? Uh, so the, the the exact title is. Um, uh, oh my god. Uh, have to find it for me is the one to read i mean of course every book by joseph campbell for me is you know 
every book by yeah. Joseph Campbell is, oh, is there you, go. you know, like uh, the, the journey's heroes. Yes. Of course, this anyone, you know, uh, was it the thousand, me- a thousand myth, uh, the hero's journey, I mean, all these books. But the, the, the one, oh yeah, of course, uh, f- um, uh, oh, mess. Uh, I, I see the I see the book cover. I can't read. That's all right. Okay, so but the one I'm reading now it's uh, it's two U.S. consultant based in California, and it's called uh, is it called transformational? And it's it's just about this. I'm going to think of the title in a minute, but the whole book it's it's about this. It said now to be a leader now in 2019. It's about having as many transformational experience that is going in the Amazon, uh, bungee jumping, uh, a spiritual experience with as many people, with as many community as possible. Um, I can send it to you for your auditors if you want the exact name, but that's, God, I love it. Uh, What else? What else I'm reading? So I I uh, I reread last week, joy.inc. It's a very good book on team building. Um, in terms, so that's uh, in terms of documentary. I saw an amazing one two weeks ago. It's called Great Athlete, and it shows, especially for what we were talking about, great athletes were built out of joy and passion, not crazy non-stop activities and discipline like parents think now kids should be. And they interview hundred great articles, and they say. I did it because I, this was my joy and passion, not because that was the way to succeed. And this is what way to be a great football player, or basketball guy, or whatever. This is because it was my joy. One more thing that this documentary show was that unstructured dedication was the key to success for them. Unstructured, which means, for instance, the football guys, when I say football, soccer, the, the great soccer player of all time, those that made it to the top, they were not the ones that go to the clubs every day. That was those who play on the beach. That was the goal to play in the streets. That was the goal they play in the backyard, not in a structure environment oh, with, with the top coach, with the top students. And they all make comparisons. They say, all oh, my friends went to the top clubs at 15 years old, 14 years old for high hockey, you name it. They never went to the top because they had to go. They follow through the top rules. That was a fascinating uh, uh, documentaries. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Definitely send us anything, you know, in the near future that you're reading. We'd love to include it. We'll blog about it. Arno, thank you so much. We can wrap this up. That was really amazing. We're grateful to have had you on our podcast. And let's definitely stay connected. I'll be following you for sure. Thank you. I'll do the same.